the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Happy New Year to all of you. I'm happy because we're finally back on a normal schedule. So that begins today. It's great being back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always, especially when the streets are wet, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I hope and pray you had a wonderful day at church yesterday. Uh, We did here. It was really, really a good day. I did a, a special message outside of uh, the book of Acts, our normal um, Sunday Bible study. Uh, and uh, boy, it was neat to see the Lord move and, um, you know, uh, end of a new year, or the end of an old year and the beginning of a new year is always a great time to, to feel like we're starting over. Now, really, every day is the same, but uh, the reality is every day with Christ is brand new. And um, really had a good day yesterday. I pray that was the case with you. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first question is from Tim. Uh, let me, I don't want to do that one first. Let's do another one first. Here is the first question for the day. Why am I having a hard time finding it? Hello, Pastor Ron. This one is anonymous. I was reading in the book of Mark and noticed that in chapter 7, verse 34, in the NLT, that's a New Living Translation version, it says the word. Now, I'm going to just apologize in advance. I have a hard time saying this word. It's F fata. F fata, which means be opened. Why are there some words in, I'm guessing the original Greek and the rest of the Bible is in English? Um, a couple of things, Anonymous. First, uh, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's version. And Mark alone uh, has a tendency to, to use the, the exact words that came out of Jesus' mouth. And I'm guessing that's because um, Peter was telling him exactly what was going on. Now, this is not a Greek word. This is Aramaic or even Syrian. Um, and it's a word that's only found in this one place in Mark chapter 7. And obviously, we don't have to guess. It means be open. Jesus was giving somebody the ability to hear, healing this deaf person. So um, what he was doing was speaking the language, Aramaic. Um, We might even say today it's Palestinian, so it's kind of a hybrid uh, Hebrew and Arab Aramaic 
Uh, and, and he was just, Jesus, that was the common street language of the day. Now, obviously, the Bible was written in Greek. And that's why we get those Greek words. The English translations are translating this verse um, um, by, by terms of giving us the definition. But it's just the way they wanted to see. It's, it's just the way that uh, Peter wanted to communicate that which Jesus was doing. So that's, I think, the primary reason that it's in Aramaic. And, and it's not unique. There are other places. Other places in our Bible, Daniel chapter 4, 5, 6, and part of chapter 7 is in Aramaic. Um, um, and and uh, it, it's just, uh, that happens to be Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. Uh, there are other words that are included in there, and uh, the original translation is what was preserved by the Lord. So there's there's nothing secret about it, no reason behind it, other than to say uh, it's what Peter said, and uh, Mark wanted to preserve um, the the integrity of Peter's comment. So thanks very much. I appreciate it, Anonymous. Here is another question. This one is from Anonymous also. Um, Happy New Year, Pastor On. Thank you for yesterday's message. Thank you for saying that. I was wondering why you speak to men more about pride. Personally, I've learned to reach out to Jesus, and the mature Christian men I'm around do not, I guess, reach out to Jesus with pride. I'm grateful for the men who guide me in life, but these men don't deal with pride. It concerns me when you say things like, particularly men for pride, men keep secrets, men need to humble yourselves, and we men deal with so much pride. And for women, you said, I'm sure that there are women with pride as well, insinuating that men are primarily the problem in marriages. Now, that's a jump. I'm going to, before I read the rest of you, I wasn't insinuating that men are primarily the problem in marriages. What I was saying, uh, Anonymous, is that men are primarily the ones who are beset with this issue of pride. Now, I'll prove it in a moment, but um, uh, for you to make the jump that says, well, I'm, I'm saying that men are more responsible for the problem in marriages uh, is, is unfair. That, that's not at all what I was saying, nor even was I uh, insinuating or inferring that that was the case. I'll continue what he said. I don't know about all the women, but I hear more about women being prideful than men. Perhaps I'm wrong. I simply don't know. Even in my marriage, my wife would say she is a prideful one and doesn't like uh, to humble herself. Uh, she, has to admit, she has admitted this many times. I don't necessarily disagree with you about men, but can you expand on your comments about men? Thank you. Uh, I can, and it sounds like you disagree with me, but that's okay. Um, uh, a couple of things. Um, and I mentioned this in the message yesterday, and part of the, the message yesterday was dealing with pride. Another was our perspective in life. My whole purpose in the message was to, to allow people to see the things that the Holy Spirit wanted to deal with. Um, when, in fact, uh, we are going into a new year, God wants us to be free to enjoy that new year, to be blessed. Um, you know, God wants more for us than we're willing to receive. Now, a couple of things. I'm going to give you first my personal experience. And I shared this yesterday in the message as well. Um, when I got saved, uh, I had nothing to be proud of. My life had fallen apart to the degree that there was literally nothing left of my life. I mean, it was just completely gone, and uh, I had no idea what to do. So I'm, I'm talking about a man that had been humiliated, not just humbled, but humiliated. And yet, because Paula had been telling me for so many years that I needed Jesus, once I got saved, even though the transformation was radical, I didn't want to go back and tell her I met Jesus or I got saved because I didn't want her to say, well, I told you so, or I was right. I didn't want to say that. I had too much pride for that. I actually, Anonymous, didn't tell her for three months, for three months until God got me to that place where I needed to be humbled. Personal experience. Now, my second experience is with other men. I give invitations all the time. And invitations, uh, you'll see women getting up and coming to the front. And most often, the women outnumber the men coming forward 10 to 1. Why? Because we men think that we've got to be tough. We've got to be right. 
We don't want anybody to perceive that we have any deficiencies or any weaknesses. I told the church yesterday, believe me, men, everybody knows that you're not perfect. We know that you've got issues. But we just don't want our pride to be dealt with. And pride is the sin behind all sins. Thirdly, men are the spiritual heads of the household. Too much is given, much is required, and there is a greater price to pay for holding on to that pride. Now, I, I made it really clear yesterday that everybody deals with pride at some level. When I say it's a sin behind all of the sins, it's a sin that caused Lucifer to be turned in to the devil. But the reality is men deal with pride much more so than men or than women do. Um, women will say we want to come to marriage counseling or I, I, want to, I want to get marriage counseling. And they will say, no, I don't want anybody knowing my business. Now, I did all of those things before I got saved. But the reality is in 29 almost years of experience counseling people, I watch men struggle with their pride. Because we think that it is a sign of weakness to admit that we've not got it all together. And so, Anonymous, that was the whole reason for the message yesterday. I use Naaman in Second Kings chapter 5 as an example of a man who uh, had to deal with his pride. And when he dealt with his pride, that's when he was able to be healed. And I would just say to every man in this listening audience that the reality is until we deal with pride, God cannot touch us. He cannot heal us. And we're the ones who are getting ripped off. We're the ones who are missing out. So I hope that explains the message yesterday. Um, That was just one part of the message, about a third of the message Uh, It's just we've got to be proud. Humble yourself or God will do it. It is much better if God doesn't have to do it, if we'll do it ourselves. One final thought on this. I use this verse a lot here at Calvary Chapel. It's a verse that people don't believe. And we men, we just don't get it. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for him, you'll find it. And we don't believe that. We don't want to lose. We don't want to let go of the things that are important to us. And so what we do is we simply hold on to those things that we think we need. And really the whole thing behind it, the evil behind it, is our pride. Thank you for the question and thank you for your comments about yesterday's message. Let's go to Alan on line one. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? God bless you. Thank you, Alan. I'm doing well. I've been praying for you. I hope your chest is all cleared up now. I'm I'm like 95% better. I still got a little tiny tickle and cough in my throat, but other than that, I'm doing really, really good. Had no problem, actually, with the three services yesterday, so I was pleased. Oh, great, great. So glad to hear that. God bless you. Thank you. Um, I had a question. It's uh, I was a little bit embarrassed to ask it, but it's one of those questions I'm 99% sure of it and just 1% uh, not sure. And I was lo- uh, looking on YouTube, it's, about, it's called Remote Viewing, and uh, it's about some kind of uh, special forces uh, captain uh, major was talking about that. They do reconnaissance uh, before they uh, before they have a mission. They can do this remote viewing, and they can visualize the hostage situation, or so they even use it in true crime scenarios. And... Uh, I was thinking that it was on the dark side of the forest, that it was like psychic or something like that. And I'm 99% sure it's dark side of the forest, but I wanted to know what you know about this, because I don't know who I could ask about this. Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alan, I am familiar a little bit with it. I've always heard it called uh, more simply just visualization. And people are trying to create their own reality through visualization. And that's what unbelievers do. I mean, that's the thing. Unbelievers do that. That's what the enemy wants us to do. So, yeah, I would agree with you that it is sort of on the dark side. You know, there's there's dark and there's light. There's no other force out there. It's just the enemy and Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the whole idea of visualization, athletes do it. Golfers, when I used to golf, you'd go through this routine visualizing the shot and the flight of the ball. You know, the reality is none of that ever helped my ball go straight. So it's just 
a useless exercise, but it helps people sort of focus in on the task at hand. And I would imagine that for a special forces um, operator, that that would be very, very important. But, but you know, I would rather if, and I'm not a special forces guy, but if I was a special forces guy and my life was on the line, I'd much rather spend that time praying than visualizing uh, what's going to go on. So I agree with you, Alan. I think it's probably on the dark side, uh, anything to keep us from the Lord. But remember, uh, we should have no expectations at all. Uh, no expectations at all of of unbelievers doing anything. And this is very popular uh, psychotherapy. Uh, one of the new things, and not relatively new things in sports, is they have these um, 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 mental gurus or doctors or psychologists who will help them prepare mentally for games or for big tournaments or whatever it is they're doing. Uh, and it's just simply worldly junk that has nothing to do with the Lord. Uh, is it instinctively evil? No. Um, is it a way for unbelievers to cope and maybe increase in confidence? It might work a little bit. But the reality is simple. Um, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus is the one himself who said that. So, Alan, that's the best I can do on it. I'm certainly not an expert in psychology or visualization. It just drives me crazy when I hear people doing it because I'd much rather, if I was a golfer, rather than visualizing my shot, I'd rather walk up the fairway talking to Jesus and enjoy what I'm doing a whole bunch more. Alan, thank you very, very much for the phone call. Good to hear from you always. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Tim. He says, Hi, Pastor Ron. As a husband, how can I help my saved wife be better? My wife is so prideful. She spends a lot of time on social media and is always angry. What can I do to have a better marriage in 2024? Thank you. Tim, I appreciate the, the nature of the question a lot. I, I'm going to spend a little bit of time with this because I think it's important. Uh, first and foremost, what can you do to have a better marriage in 2024? And that's to set an example of Christ-likeness. Don't focus on what you perceive your wife's faults to be. Instead, focus only on your walk with the Lord. You be filled with the joy of the Lord. You be a man who is, is, is able to be observed in the Word in the morning every day. So your wife sees, boy, there's something uh, with that Bible and his life getting getting better and more filled with joy all the time. You set that example of Christ-likeness. You be the, the quickest one to forgive. You be the quickest one to say you're sorry when you've done something wrong or when you've offended. But, but I would go one step farther. And when you start looking out at your wife, you need to see her through the eyes of the Lord. Uh, you know, Jesus, Tim, is crazy about your wife. And he would not be pleased with you saying, my wife is so prideful. What he would probably say is that you need to get that log out of your own eye before looking at the speck in your wife's eye. Now, that doesn't mean you're not accurate in your assessment. It's just Jesus saying, Tim, this is you and me. Now, let me share why this is so important. I have a wife. Everybody knows her, Paula. She had prayed for me for 13 years. I was the biggest jerk ever. And she prayed for me for 13 years. And it wasn't until she started seeing me through the eyes of the Lord. Now I was doing all kinds of hurtful things to her. But when she started seeing me, when she got close enough to Jesus, and probably of the 13 years she was praying, we're talking about the last two and a half or three years, where the Lord got her to the point where he would say, hey, this is you and me. You look at me. You do this for me. Give me one more day in this marriage. And when she started seeing me, I, I think the key, and we've got a lot of Paula's journals. She was journaling her prayers during those times. And um, uh, you can see some of her entries. Um, Jesus, it's clear to me that you love Ron so much. And the inference is she was asking, how could you love him? He's such a jerk. But when she got that into her heart, Tim, that's when God began to change her heart toward me. 
So that's really important. Don't look at her faults. Look instead at your own. And live your life to please the Lord, remembering that you are in your home. You are Jesus' servant, his ambassador, to win your wife completely to him. Now, I'm going to assume, you. in fact, you say your saved wife. But if your wife is saved, a husband and a wife ought to be able to sit down and talk about these things. If you think she's prideful or she does something that demonstrates she has pride, you ought to be able to sit down and there's no better time to do it than when you're reading the word together, the two of you. The Holy Spirit will be at work in supernatural ways. And there needs to be a way for you to say, can I ask you about something? You know, whenever the Holy Spirit is convicting you or whenever I'm asking you something, you defend what you do. Is that your pride? Are you afraid of what I'm going to think? How can I communicate to you? How can I talk to you about these things without you immediately getting defensive? And to pretend, you know, in a marriage that these things aren't real issues, just to sort of let them or hope that they take care of themselves will never happen. So what you do is you sit down and talk about these things. And I can tell you something. If if I got ugly or if I got prideful, uh, Paula would talk to me about it in a minute. And the same thing is true the other way around. Paula and I were in the Word together. Um, there are times when I'll say to her, Paula, can we talk about something today? And she'll say, okay, what? And, and, and it works the other way around as well. But we deal with these issues. We just don't let them sit. So for you not to deal with this issue with your wife is putting her really in harm's way because if it is true that she's dealing with pride, then the enemy is in a place where he can absolutely devastate her. And you don't want to do that. And maybe as you're reading the Word, you're going to deal a lot with pride in the Word. It'll give you the opportunity to talk about it. And you can say something like, well, you know, I, my job eventually is to present you perfect before the Lord, washing you with the water of the word. And I've noticed this issue with you. And I want to be able to protect you. How can I help you deal with this? Also express your desire to be a better husband, to have a better marriage. Tell her that she's beautiful. Tell her that you're attracted to her. Appeal to her. Talk about the good things that she does. That way, when you have to talk about something important like this, then it will have some weight because she knows that you're not being critical of spirit. The other thing that you talked about here, and this is, I think, an issue that needs to be dealt with in every Christian home. Um, People that spend time on social media, people that spend time uh, watching Fox News, men and women, Um, people that are always involved in other people's lives and what's going on. The truth is they're all angry and they're angry most of the time. So this is something that you can talk about. Ask your wife, how about you and I? We have a time limit every day or a, a range of time where social media is just not permitted, where we can actually talk to one another, where we can be in the word together, or we can just go out and have fun together. But, but you know, not honed in on our phone, not worried about people liking or friending us or unfriending us. And explain to her that I see your anger about things. And that's not pleasing to the Lord. And then ask her again, how can I help? And these are the things, Tim, that husbands and wives need to be able to talk about. You don't say whether or not you're married. If you are and you have kids, um, you know, it's better for them. And the example that is being set in your home by being um, so glued to social media is setting a terrible example for children if there are kids in the home. So first focus on you. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be an encourager. I want my wife to know that she's loved. And if you do that, God will use you to win her. But these are things that need to be talked about. So broach the subject with her. Find the right time. And this is not just for you, Tim. This is for everybody in the audience. 
If you want your marriage to be really and truly blessed by the Lord, husbands and wives, you have to be in the Word together. I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and, you know, when people are getting ready to get married, they're, oh, sure, we're in the Word together, we're this. And I always tell them, you know, if you don't watch closely, that'll stop. Because your life is going to change. You're going to have other habits. Being in the Word together, now being in the Word individually is important, very important. But for your marriage and for your family, being in the Word of God together will reap benefits that you never imagined. And that's what God wants you to know. So, Tim, very important. Look in first, examine your heart, and then when there's no log in your own eye, then you can sit down and talk with your wife. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you. So, Tim, great question. Uh, One of the purposes of yesterday's message was trying to get everybody to be truly expectant of a better, more blessed 2024 than they had in 2023. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in this Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up For Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 here is another anonymous question pastor ron why does paul always start his letters with grace and peace Was this a common greeting? Yeah, it was pretty common, but especially for Paul, because it sort of combines a Gentile or a Greek greeting with a Jewish greeting. Peace is, of course, shalom. And so um, he always starts with grace. Grace uh, is our means of making peace with God, uh, having shalom. Um, If uh, without grace... Uh, Unless we make peace with God, we cannot have any peace of God. And so this was Paul's favorite way. Those are called Paul's twins, in fact, often. They always go together. The grace always comes first because without grace, there is no peace with God. And if you don't make peace with God, then it's impossible to have the peace of God. So, yeah, it was just a pretty common greeting. uh, And it would be something, um, you know, we say, for instance, God bless you on saying goodbye. And Paul would say instead, grace and peace be with you. So, yeah, very common, but meaningful, uh, at least as it comes from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for that question. I like that one. Here's another anonymous question. In the Old Testament, some people live more than 900 years. Why don't we live that long now? Well, first of all, I don't want to. Secondly, um, the answer, the real answer is sin caught up with us. In fact, after the flood, um, you see the lifespan of men um, decreasing quickly. Um, You know, I think we've got three men, three people that lived uh, more than 900 years uh, in Genesis. I may have missed one, but I don't think so. Um, But but after the flood, again, the flood was a result of uh, every inclination of people's hearts being only evil all the time. A sin caught up. And so the lifespans began to decrease fairly rapidly. Um, by the time we get to Abraham, people that lived to be a hundred, uh, Moses, Joshua, that was um, that was a long life, a long lifespan. So uh, it's just the effects of sin caught up on us, and the life expectancy of people shortened uh, drastically. So that's why we don't live that long. Can you imagine? I'm seventy-two. And my body hurts and got all these aches and pains. Uh, I I can't imagine living 900 years. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Here's a question from Emily. 
She wants to know, why do you think we don't have more information about Jesus' early life? I think it would help people believe. Uh, Emily, I think you're wrong about that. I don't think it would help people believe at all, because what we know about his life at the age of 30 uh, to his crucifixion is pretty amazing. If we don't believe that, how are we going to believe like the stories of Jesus' life as a child? So I don't think it would help at all. You know, there have been books written. There are religious traditions that would suggest Jesus was healing little birds and animals. Uh, as grown. But all of that is just nonsense. Jesus' life before his ministry began in earnest really doesn't matter to us. Because what matters is when Jesus was accomplishing the will of God for his life. And of course, the will of the Father was to die for the sins of the world, Emily, yours and mine. Now, you might be interested in these things, and I get that. I wish our Bibles told us all kinds of information that we don't have. But remember, the 66 books in our Bibles, they tell us everything that we need to know. Um, They tell us everything that God thinks we should know. And we don't need any more. And one of the things I would suggest, Emily, uh, for people who are curious about stuff that isn't really that important. Again, I understand it's interesting. But people that are really interested in things that aren't important, they could use that time so much more fruitfully simply by digging in. I mean, really digging in and becoming workmen or workwomen, rightly dividing the word of God. So especially, instead of chasing things that aren't really important, chase that one thing that is, the word, the word, the word. Um, Devour it. Be an expert. Know all that you can know. Really dig in and study. So, Emily, we don't have more information because Jesus doesn't think we need it. Randy says, is the teaching of cessationism heresy? No, Randy, it's not heresy. It's wrong, uh, but it's not heresy. Uh, It's not an essential of the faith. It doesn't deal uh, primarily with the character and nature of the Lord. For those of you who might not be familiar with the term cessationism, that is the teaching that the, the gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today, that they ceased, most cessationists will say, uh, with the canon of Scripture being put together. Uh, there's no indication that that's the case. Um, the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit uh, in the imperative present tense or the continuous present tense. And the Bible makes no such claim that uh, the gifts of the Spirit have stopped or that miracles won't happen today. Now, obviously, pursuing miracles is not healthy. It is sort of an out-of-balanced focus. Uh, Jesus said, an evil, adulterous generation seeks signs and wonders. Um, but I think on the other side, Randy, those who, who, because of the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit, are just more comforting. They don't exist today. That was for then, not for now. Um, that is also an out-of-balance view. But it is not heresy at all. Again, they're wrong, uh, but but they're not heretics at all. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, 877-630-KSLR. Jackie wants to know, why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Is it possible that God could ask something so sinful? Jackie, I deal with this question pretty often. Um, I know, especially as a new believer, we get to Genesis chapter 22 and we read that and say, how could this happen? But we have to remember, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That was the farthest thing from the mind of God. God obviously knew what he was doing. And in this particular case, he was giving Abraham a test. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and read about Abraham, He passed this test with flying colors. He wrestled with it. I'm sure he absolutely hated the the request. Uh, I I imagine the wrestling match on that three-day journey to what we now know as Golgotha or Calvary. Um, um, He would wrestle with it. He would probably yell at God. He would get angry. 
Um, but he concluded that it's impossible for God to lie. And God promised that all of the nations in the world would be blessed through Isaac. So in other words, he came to the conclusion, wrestling with this request, he came to the conclusion that, well, if I kill him, God has to raise him from the dead because it's impossible for God to lie. That is a great triumph of faith. Remember also a verse that I also mention a lot uh, here at church, but also on this radio program, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Men, women, it's all the same. So these are tests that are part and parcel of the Christian life. And Abraham's test evidently was of the nature that he had become too enamored with Isaac and he sort of pushed God out of that position of priority in his heart and in his life. And God won't share his glory. God won't share um, our priorities. He says he wants to be first in every life. And the reality is if Isaac became more valuable, more important to Abraham than God who gave the gift of Isaac to him was, then he needed sort of a priority recheck. And that's exactly what it was. But God never intended for him to do it. Even if Abraham would have failed the test, Isaac would not have died. And the reason that's so important to us is because when it came time for God the Father to sacrifice his son, he didn't hold back. And Abraham's, what appears to us to be a near sacrifice of Isaac, was simply a picture of a greater sacrifice uh, about a son who would cry out, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. Three times he made that request. Three times the father said no because he considered you, Jackie, and me more valuable even than his own son. So remember, he didn't ask him to sacrifice. That was never in the heart of the mind of God. He was simply testing Abraham, knowing that the outcome would be that Isaac and Abraham would go back together from this mountain. One other comment on this, if you look really closely at the story, Abraham's faith was always in the right place. Because when he was asked by Sarah where he was going, well, the lad and I are going into the desert. We will come back together. He also said it later to the servants when they stayed and he and Isaac alone went up to, to Golgotha or, Mount, or to Calvary. He said, you stay here, we will return. So his faith was tested and this was a wonderful triumph of faith. So Jackie, hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. Brian said, will Christians who are sinning get raptured? Brian, they will if in fact they are real Christians. Now, this is a really difficult question because I know that our Bibles are written. I also know the way the Holy Spirit works. Remember, Jesus said he came to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. This doesn't mean just unbelievers, but believers as well. And here's the reality. When we are willfully sinning against God, we don't have any eternal security. And so the thought that, well, maybe I'll get left behind if the rapture happens... That thought is the Holy Spirit saying, well, let's resolve that today. Let's fix that today. And the way we're going to fix that is to get right with God and the need to get right with God is today. And by the way, Brian and anybody else listening uh, who deals with these kind of, of security issues, um, um, God wants us to be secure in our relationship with him. But if we're actively sinning and we're not repenting, we're not getting right with God. I'm, I don't mean just saying sorry, but, but actively repenting is changing. God, I'm doing this. I hate it. I'm going to stop. But I need your help. But I'm going to stop now. Not next week, not next year. I'm going to stop right now. Well, that's what real repentance is. And unless you're at that place, you have no comfort in in eternal security. But the reality, Brian, is everybody who's truly born again, regardless of what they're doing in their life, will be raptured when Jesus comes for his church. Now, here's something you don't expect me to say. He's coming soon. <laughs> the rapture is going to happen soon. 
It is the next event on the future or prophetic calendar. He's coming soon and we need to be ready. So, Brian, whether this was the reason you asked the question, you're doing some things that you know aren't right, and you've got this sense of, well, what if I get left behind? That's the Holy Spirit calling you to God. That's the Holy Spirit saying, let's fix this right now. And once you fix it, then that insecurity will go away. So I hope that helps, Brian. The rapture is going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen really soon. Once more, 340-9585. Our phones are fairly quiet today, so there's you can get right in. Here's another anonymous question. He says, I've seemingly always struggled with certain sins. Why won't the Lord take those struggles away? Anonymous, this is a question, and I mean this in love, and I'm not being impatient or frustrated, but uh, it, this question just drives me crazy. The Lord already took those struggles away. He did it on the cross at Calvary. He promised us victory. All we have to do is have the faith to believe it and then walk in that victory. If you've always struggled with certain sins, and it's the same kinds of sins, well, then I need you to really check your heart. Are you really saved? You know, we all struggle with our flesh. We struggle with certain sins. But if you're struggling with the same sins year after year after year, and by the way, men, this is one of the, the questions I get asked when men are struggling with pornography. God already took it away. When we give in to those temptations, the lust of our flesh, when we give in, it's because we want to. Now, people will say, I don't want to. I want to stop. No, if you really wanted to stop, you wouldn't do it. Instead of dealing with the temptation, you pick up your Bible. You take a walk with Jesus. You do anything and everything to, to, to avoid disappointing the Lord. But the reality is, and this is where we've got to be honest, Lord, my flesh likes that stuff. And, and the flesh in me, this spiritual battle in me between flesh and spirit, the flesh in me wants to do it. And if we can be that honest with the Lord, then the Spirit can take over. But what we've got to do, instead of saying, well, my flesh likes it, so I'm going to give in, and then I'll repent, what we need to do is say, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore, because if I do this thing, and whether it's pornography or drinking or whatever your your your, your certain sins might be, we need to be honest enough to say, Lord, I want to do it. I want to do it with all my heart, but that's the flesh and not the spirit. And so I choose to be obedient to you, Jesus. And then you're going to have victory over those struggles. The reality, unfortunately, is that we don't really want to win. We want to give in. We want to wrestle with it. We'll feel really guilty, really bad for a while. But the reality is, we did it because we wanted to do it. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Dave in San Marcos. Why are there so few cases of men being charged with adultery in the Bibles as compared to women? You know, I talked about this um, uh, recently in a Bible study, um, Dave. Um, the, the reality is, um, boys will be boys. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not me saying it's okay. But that's always been the prevailing thing. When Jesus was confronted with the woman caught in adultery, remember, this was a trap they set for him. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Well, if, in fact, the old boy's network wasn't strong and alive, then the man that was caught in the very act with her would also have been there before Jesus. In fact, I'm shocked that Jesus did not say, well, well, where's the man? This woman who was, by all accounts, a prostitute. Remember, that's a woman trying to take care of herself in a very, very harsh world. It is likely that many of the men in that crowd, the ones who Jesus would kneel down and write with his finger in the dust and they would begin to leave from the oldest to the youngest. Jesus was probably, and this is my opinion, probably writing down 
um, the men in the audience who had a an encounter with her, maybe the date and the time. Who knows what he was writing? But it upset him enough to leave. Oh, I, I got to go. And um, the reality is that they were only interested in trapping Jesus. And they were willing to kill this woman in order to trap Jesus. So if you just understand that last sentence, they were willing to kill this woman to trap Jesus. If you understand that, then the idea that they would commit adultery and and the only ones they would blame would be the women uh, shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. So that's it. Why are there so few cases of men being charged? It's because men were in control in the ancient world and they didn't do things to get in trouble. I mean, they did things that would get them in trouble, but they didn't do things that would make them accountable for that trouble. So the woman uh, caught in the act of adultery, I love the fact that Jesus looked at her at the end. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't know. Well, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more, he told her. So, Dave, that's the reason. Thank you for your question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Benjamin. He says, I know that Jews are God's chosen people, and they will be in heaven. How do I reconcile that with what happened to Judas? Well, Benjamin, Jews are not God's chosen people. Israel is God's chosen people. Or let me put it another way that might make more sense. Israel is God's chosen nation. Now, obviously, Israel is made up of people, but that does not mean at all that uh, a Jew is going to go to heaven. Um, Judas did not go to heaven. Jesus said he was the son of perdition from the beginning. Uh, It would be better for him had he never been born. In other words, he is going to suffer in eternity forever, and his suffering is going to be intense because too much is given, much is required. Uh, He was really accountable. The same thing is true of Annas and Caiaphas, the people that put Jesus to death, the high priest um, of the, the year Jesus was crucified. Um, Paul said that, that that he would give his place in heaven if only his brothers, the Jews, would believe. The idea that they were unbelievers condemned them to an eternity in hell. That's Romans chapter 9. So um, Jews aren't going to go to heaven because Israel was God's chosen people. Individually, they still have to go through Jesus to get to the Father in heaven. Jesus said it over and over. Paul said it over and over. Peter repeated it over and over. Um, Jews need Jesus to get to heaven just like everybody else does. Never forget that, Benjamin. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Lisa. What did it mean when God told Paul his grace was sufficient for him? Does that apply to us who are struggling health-wise and financially? Lisa, you are reading that passage exactly right. Paul was asking the Lord to take this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was specifically. There's a lot of people who have guessed about it, but we don't know what that was specifically. But God was basically telling Paul that you need this. Now, Paul will later say to keep him from becoming conceited because of all of the great revelations that he had. This was God's way of reminding him of who he was. You know, it's interesting when God changed his name from Saul to Paul, Paul means little. And Paul needed to see, and I always make up these words, his own littleness and God's bigness. And when Paul maybe got a little bit carried away, you know, in Romans 7, he said, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. When Paul would have those struggles with his pride, um, um, that that messenger of Satan was permitted to, to buffet him. And it was a very physical, painful malady. And every time... Uh, God said, no, you need this, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, Lisa, exactly the same thing is true for you, whether it's housewife or financially or even both. The person in the presence of Jesus Christ is the only place where there's going to be any comfort at all. It's really important that we get that. It doesn't seem at times like his grace is sufficient But this is one of those places where, by faith, we've got to truly believe the promises that God has made. 
And Lisa, because he didn't promise to heal us financially, or I mean, uh, heal us physically. He didn't promise us that we would be uh, rich or comfortable materially. We've got to understand that the only place we can run is to his presence. And in his presence, he will remind you in the middle of your struggles that his grace is sufficient. And it's usually in those times when we realize his grace is enough. It's in those times when we grow the most. It's in those times when we see the power of God manifest through our lives. It's in those times when we really seek the purpose and the will of God for our lives. And that's the only place there's ever going to be any comfort at all. So, Lisa, I don't know who you are, but God bless you, and I will be lifting you up in prayer um, for your health uh, and your finances. The, the reality is so many people in this world. We pray for the lost, the hurting, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. And so often, those broken people, uh, those hurting people, those are the ones that can seem to us to have such a deep relationship with the Lord because they're going through those trials heroically. So that's what it means. Just hang out with me. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus will be enough for you. Thanks for the question, Lisa. Hey, our time went fast today. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.